Welcome to Apparently, the podcast for absolutely average parents. I'm Ann Johnsos. And I'm Tracy Weiner. Life is good. Ann and I have been friends for a really long time. Yep, we met right out of college in our first jobs as radio producers, and we had a lot of fun living it up in the big city. And then we grew up, got married, and stood up in each other's weddings. And we had babies within weeks of each other. So we went from producers to reproducers. Which brings us to this podcast. We want to talk about topics that interest us and you. And let's be honest, this year, there's no shortage of stuff to cover. We're average, not experts. So we'll tackle these topics with people who know what they're doing. Yeah, we'll get the experts. And I fully expect to embarrass myself along the way. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we already have. So welcome to Apparently. Life is good. Apparently, America ranks 19th out of 149 countries when it comes to happiness, Anne. Wow. And... And with the global pandemic kind of lingering on, it it almost feels like social and economic, political things in the news have all kind of brought us down and contributed to our happiness. Mm -hmm. But I was thinking about this. Here's the thing. All the money, jobs, houses, promotions, grades in the world won't lead to happiness. And I say that because I think about we all have people in our lives who we think, man, they have it all or they're living the dream. When in actuality, I think they're quite miserable and unhappy. Hmm. So in researching for this episode, I started thinking, let's face it, the last year and a half hasn't exactly given anyone anything to be excited about or happy about for that matter. Yeah. So, you know, we're all prone to negativity bias and scientists have discovered it takes multiple positive experiences to offset one negative experience. I did not need scientists to tell me that. Um, so <laughs> Dr. Barbara Fredrickson is a positivity researcher at the University of North Carolina. And she says for every negative emotional experience you have, you need to experience at least three positive emotional experiences to uplift you. Do you know what? Can I tell you, do you watch Ted Lasso? <laughs> yes, I just finished season two and no spoilers. We're not giving spoilers. No. Um, but like, I feel like I broke up with someone because I used to look forward to Ted and now Ted's not there for me anymore. <laughs> my family's in love with this show and it exudes positivity. At least in my house, we quote, be a goldfish mm-hmm. all the time. And uh, it's exactly, I feel like what, society needs right now is that positive like the positive spin on stuff and that show when we're talking about things that positive experiences that show has brought a lot of happiness the last couple months at least for me it's what i needed to watch right now yeah and also though i gotta say on the flip side it managed to address some deeper topics like mental health and anxiety and most recently feeling overlooked and not valued. So, you know, while it made me feel happy every time I watched it, it also made me think about, (laughs) maybe this is my negativity bias, but it also made me think about ways that we don't value people or need to value people more. Yeah, we've watched it over and over again. So uh, (laughs) sometimes for my kids, we need to watch things multiple times. Speaking of happiness, so in my school district, our teachers were given a book at the beginning of the year as part of professional development, a book called The Happiness Advantage by Sean Akur. And its premise is that humans have it all backwards and that researchers have studied happiness and the result of more than 200 studies and like 275,000 people have found that happiness leads to success in all aspects of your life, whether it's marriage or health or friendships, careers, business. 
and workers are more positive. Kids do better in school. And it's not the other way around. Wait, so success doesn't make you happy, but happiness makes you successful? Exactly. So I started to do a bunch of research and and I was reading the book and I'm geeking out on it. And not (laughs) only do I know I I deep dive (laughs) and not only do schools and universities invest in this book's premise, but so do giant corporations. Like I was reading about our guests and watching videos and about the author, like Nationwide Insurance and Kohl's, all these CEOs of big corporations have come to realize that happiness of their employees actually drives greater productivity and outcomes. So like an, like an example. So this is where I geek out. Okay. So Mm -hmm. bear with me. So students primed to feel happy before taking a math achievement test outperform their peers, just feeling happy, just feeling happy. So like just telling them something great about themselves before they take the test or adding levity to like joking around. Another example was and this, this one I blew my mind. A study was performed with a bunch of hotel chains and their cleaning staff, and they told, in this study, they told half the employees how much their exercise they were doing during their the cleaning of the rooms and stuff, and how many calories they burned, and just all, all the good things that were happening while they were working. And then the other half was the control group, and they got no good news. They just weren't told anything. And a couple weeks later, they found that those who were told to think about their work as exercise and, and healthy actually lost weight and their cholesterol dropped what all right (laughs) so two different groups had two different outcomes at the end because of how their brains were like think how they approached it i thought i thought it was fascinating i need to adjust my attitude about vacuuming (laughs) (laughs) and i think maybe emptying the dishwasher has just become a more valuable activity for me (laughs) okay okay so here's just one more okay sorry there was another one a researcher at harvard uh worked with a group of Uh, Asian women who were given a math test on two separate occasions. And the first time around before their math test, they were focusing on that they were women. Mm -hmm. So what's the stereotype with women in math? Not good at math. Yeah. So the second time around, they took, they focused on their identity, that they were Asian women. Mm -hmm. And what's the stereotype with that? Asians are good at math. Just a stereotype. I'm just saying a stereotype. Yes. So on the second, so the women performed better on the second test, even though it was the same test, but they just believed more in their ability and their results were better. So that's probably why Nationwide Insurance and Kohl's and everyone's talking about being positive. You're going to do better, not the other way around. You don't, you're not happier, do better because you got that job. Do you understand what I mean? So it's framing. It's really framing. And the way you think about yourself dictates how you do. Correct. So it got me thinking you know, as I'm reading this book and after the last year and a half and things are starting to go back to normal, how we could use positive psychology to create better outcomes in our families, in our marriages. You know, we talk a lot about our kids uh, on this podcast. And I thought this time around, maybe we should talk about like our like how we could w- be better and happier with our partners and our marriages and our friendships and so on. Tracy, do you mind if I lie down on the couch here? Just <laughs> This might be a therapy session. Um, All right. To talk about happiness and the research behind it and how to retrain your brain, or at least my brain, to seek it out, we're bringing in Devin Hughes, an author and speaker who works with schools, startups, and nonprofits to show the power of positive psychology and how with a few simple daily steps, we can retrain our brains to seek happy. Devin, thank you for joining us today. Hey, Devin. 
Hello, thank you for having me to this awesome opportunity to share some tips, tools, and some resources to be a better version of you. <laughs> yes. All right, so now, Devin, you travel the country talking to groups about the happiness advantage and positive psychology. Your organization has met with all sorts of groups, Fortune 500 companies, schools, teachers. But how can this translate to our homes? And you right now are looking at our homes because we are on a, <laughs> a video thing, and you know that my home needs more happiness. So most people believe getting a promotion or a bigger house or a fancy car will lead to happiness. And, you know, will you please take the work you do in the boardroom and tell us how it can make a difference in our family rooms? Yeah. So a couple of things to keep in mind. Now, uh, you and everyone listening, did anybody, especially you two, did you ever get the secret sauce to happiness when you were a child? No. No. No, I didn't either. And I asked that question around the world and everyone looks at me like perplexed. Well, and, and more important. And Devin, I, I was like, oh, my God, are we supposed to say yes? I mean, have we ruined <laughs> the interview already because we didn't? OK, no. And think about that. What's more important than being happy? Some might say healthy, but I don't know too many unhealthy people. So happiness is pretty much universal. We all want to feel good. Now, we could wordsmith what feeling good looks like. It varies. Well, I'm just talking about emotional well-being, that you feel like you matter. So it's curious to me that in 2021, the collective years of humanity, not many of us have the secret sauce. But fortunately, and I say fortunately, we've got some research. The research is caught up, and there's some things that you absolutely can do individually and collectively to help people be a better version of themselves and to feel better and perform better. So I mentioned earlier the three to one positivity ratio. It takes three positives to offset a negative comment. Now, does that mean we need to dish out more positive comments to our kids and spouses because we have to assume that probably for me, they're hearing at least one negative comment a day? Um, like, is that something It's like you talk about things we can do? Is that a thing we can do consciously? Yeah. So let me let, so let's unpack that a little bit, because some people I, I'm not asking you to walk around with a clipboard <laughs> and a quota. Hi, honey. <laughs> it's time for your appreciation. <laughs> not only is that unrealistic, it's awkward. OK, but what I am suggesting is if you think about this, the brain is like Velcro for negativity. Now, why would that be? Well, think about our ancestors. Darwin, it's survival. Our brain's number one job is survival. So we are always scanning our environments for threats. And negative news or negative information might infer that there is a threat. So negative news is really, really palpable to the brain. So that aside, put it in context to where we are now. If you turn on our national news, is it predominantly positive or negative? Negative. It's mostly negative. You go to work. Do we tend to talk about the positive stuff or the stuff that we're not? Mm. So if you look at it, we are just one of our greatest addictions is the, in the new normal is sharing bad news. We are really good at it for some reason. And I have just I'm still trying to find it like Indiana Jones in the you know searching <laughs> for the Temple of Doom. <laughs> Why is it so uncomfortable for people to share the good stuff? Yeah, why is it so wrong? What, what I feel like Ted Lasso is a perfect example. That show, it came out, and then it's like haters got to hate. I, I don't understand. They were they were getting criticism for being too like too good. How, how is that even possible? Well, is it possible that we feel guilty when we feel happy, so we don't want to share the good stuff? So I'm gonna build on that hashtag real talk. 
I put a hashtag on it because this is so real. Okay. okay. Buckle yep. your okay. seatbelts. Okay. If you're too happy at work or in the community, what do people say to you? Tone it down. That's Pollyanna. That's not professional. You're a bragger. Right? Yes. Yes. So what, after a while, you learn the social norm that, mm, do I say it? Do I not? Who wants to be, you know, I'll just keep it to myself. And so what we've done is we've socialized it. We've socialized it. So for some reason, when thing, good things happen, we don't talk about it. And see what I find, and please weigh in here, the universe is neutral. It's what we put into it. And right now, one of our greatest things is just sharing bad news. We operationalize it like it's a superpower. And when someone shares good news, we look at them like, huh? Like, and we, so part of it feels braggy. It feels braggy. Yes. And so what I tell people, if you don't want to talk about yourself because you think that's braggy, how about you catch other people doing good things? Are there good things happening in your school district? Are there good things happening in your community? Are there good things happening in your church? If you're not talking about the good stuff to the brain, it's like it doesn't exist. Yeah. You know, it's funny, I just the other day saw someone and mentioned how great she looked. I know that's probably not you're not supposed to focus on looks. And you know, and she immediately was like, Oh, well, I have a long way to go. But I I thought in retrospect, I was like, I probably shouldn't have commented on her looks. That was that was vain or whatever. But I also I felt good about saying something good to her. Are we have we trained ourselves not to even say good things at all? In some cases, yeah. I mean, because we just don't tend to, I mean, in the old days, we used to actually talk to each other, right? Remember our ancestors? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, now with the converse, I'll give you an example. And this is fascinating. We can go. I was in the UK before COVID and I do a lot of research. And one of the things I noticed in the UK, I was in a park and there was a bench with a sign. And I'm like, what is this? And then I got closer and I asked someone and they told me that it's a chat bench. C-H-A-T. And I go, what is a chat bench? Well, they said, Devin, it's a bench with a sign encouraging human beings to talk to each other. No way. No way. (laughs) Yes. I took a photo of it. And I go, is this where we are? Like, I need benches in parks encouraging humans to, like, conversate? Oh, my gosh. That's that's sad. Yes. And I want it's part of this narrative. Human beings, if you look at the biology of human beings, we're social creatures. Right. We know that, right? We need socialization. But with the ubiquitous and pervasiveness of social media and all the other things, we're less social. Neighbors used to move into a neighborhood. You may go by. You may introduce yourself. You would do a lot of these social things. We're, we've lost some of that. Yeah, I remember, I remember growing up in the 70s, like, when somebody moved in, you would bring over, like, mm. a cake, cake or banana bread, and you'd be like, welcome to the neighborhood, all that kind of stuff. That doesn't exist anymore. Sometimes you don't even know what the people look like next door. They don't come out. They don't come out. So they, they put the, the, the garage door opens, they go in, it closes, and that's that. Same. And it's part of this narrative. And so if you look at the data, and I, you know, I could go on and on, 40% of Americans right now say they're lonely. Forty percent. Yet we're so connected, air quotes. We, yeah. we have ways to connect. Well, so because we're we're trying to be actionable here, so that we can give people tips on how to get there. In the book that I was mentioning in the beginning, the the happiness advantage, they talked about how you can. The science says you can retrain your brain to think positive and look for the positive 
and then which will lead to happiness. And then with happiness, you will, you know, get that job or that promotion or do be more productive at work and so on. Um, it talks about the set. There's seven principles with, and with the science behind it. Um, can we just quickly ru- go through a couple of uh, the seven? Yeah. So the, the one that I just referred to kind of indirectly was what we call social investment. That's and my social- favorite one. <laughs> Oh, well, social investment is essentially we need to invest in relationships. Now, it sounds pretty obvious, right? We feel better when we're around like-minded people. So the thought behind social investment or how you might operationalize that is what could you be, what could you do in the new normal to be more social? So that might be, you know, setting up coffee with the friends, being more intentional. Think about the people right now in your inner circle, the relationships, both at work and home. Instead of a text or a tweet or a like or Facebook, what could you do to invest in some of those relationships to bring yourself and others together? And so it's little things like that. I mean, I'll give you an example. And this is something that I did with my family. We still do. And this is an easy take home. After dinner, we go on Sundays, we go on a family walk. Okay, that's we nice. To, we go on a family walk. Yeah. And so, and so it's easy. So the, the only caveat to that walk is you don't have, ga- you don't have phones with you. Ooh, we talk. We, something for you have kids, right? You have a couple couple kids i have four kids that's correct yeah so four four is more than a couple that is a lot (laughs) of kids and they have to leave their phones at home good god do they fight you uh no they actually enjoy the walk because it's an opportunity for us just to engage and do what we do two things on that no phones we do some reflection on the week so what we'll do my wife and i'll say hey so what are the best things that happened this week what are things that made you smile See, the thing is, is that sometimes filling a person's cup is just getting them to scan and reflect that good things are happening. If you're not asking, do they even exist? That's like, Anne, didn't you always, we have family dinners at our house and so does Anne, but they, she would talk about the rose and thorn, right, Anne? Yep, roses and thorns. Um, the, the kids have eschewed that since because they're like, no more roses. Uh, but, <laughs> but we do try to focus, but you're right. We should do something that's an actual we should set up rules so that we follow through on these things. We should make it easy on ourselves. So, so absolutely right. So there's another principle in the book called the 22nd rule. Ooh, what's that one? So the 22nd rule is this. If you make something 20, second, 20 seconds easier to do, you're more likely to do it. So let me put it in context. Too often we know we should do the right thing, but if there's a lot of effort or cognition, We're like, ah, I'm busy. I just, I want to go to the gym, but you know, I just, I don't have, you know, just a lot of work. So the 22nd rule would be this. If Ann or Devin or whomever slept in their gym clothes (laughs) and they got up in the morning, they're more likely to go to work out. Why? They're already wearing their spandex. Yes. You're already wearing your Lululemon. (laughs) (laughs) Or let's take the workout example. Say that's creepy. What if you take your workout (laughs) clothes, you pack them in a bag, you take them out to the car, and you put them on the front seat of your car so that you'll see them in the morning or after work? You see what I'm doing here? Sure. You're doing, you're taking the steps to to prep for it. And Devin, there's something, you know, we talked about the negativity bias, but there's something called the availability bias that I've learned in terms of language. If you look and you see that your gym stuff is right there, it's available, and so you're more likely to take advantage of it, right? 
Yeah. So if you look at the research, and, I, and again, just to be clear here, when I look at the research and work with some of the most uh, provocative people, provocative in terms of their well-being around the planet, they're not born like this. They just have what I call happiness habits. They build their days intentionally. And I say intentionally to embed well-being into the day. How they start their days different. How they end their days different. And they look for intersections throughout their day to embed a little bit of well-being, whether it's two minutes, three minutes, four minutes, just to reboot their brain like you'd reboot your PC. So Devin, can we ask, how do, what's the best way to start your day? What is the, like, what's your guaranteed good start day? So for me, and again, if you look at, you know, Sean's work, there's, he he identifies different research-based ways. Like, and I'll go over them quickly and we could certainly go. I mean, there's first one is writing. There's three gratitudes where you write down three different things you're grateful for every single day. Mm. Three different things every single day for a minimum of 21 days. That's it? Just like like a, I could have like a notebook next to my bed and just write them down at that before I go to bed. Here's the three things I was grateful for today. Yeah. So you could do that. That would be a journal. Another way, if you want to operationalize it for your family, is have a gratitude meal. So my wife, uh, she's a teacher. She puts little prompts on Sundays in front of the plate. And I'm going to read you the prompt we had last night. We had what we call a a giving meal. The prompt in front of each of our plates said, tell us something you are grateful for about the person across from you. Wow. Wow. So they had to say something about their brother or sister. Yes. And we don't make it happenstance. There's a prompt. It's in front of you. You don't have to think. 22nd rule makes it easier. You just have to engage. You see what I'm doing here? Yeah. Yeah. That would be that would be a simple thing to do around a meal because you're all collectively there without your phones. Yeah. So when when you ask me about how we embed it at home, what I look to do to make it easier for families to do it is look for the stuff that you're already doing at home because you don't want more stuff on the plate. I just take the stuff that you're already doing and give it a little bit of a makeover, a happy makeover. Sure. Tweak it a little. Yeah. So how you start your day. So before they walk out of the walk out to catch the bus or go wherever, how do you start their day? What do you leave them with? If you prime the brain to start their day, they're more likely to have a good day throughout the day. Isn't that sad? That's sad that we have to be that intentional that it doesn't come naturally. I I feel like that. And I'm being negative. That's me being negative. I'm focusing on being sad that that we have to, like, take the time to think about what to be grateful for. Instead of having it just be like you wake up and you automatically think that. Do you understand what I mean? No, I get it. But think about this. Human beings are just a byproduct of their experiences and the habits they pick up. And most of the things we do throughout the day, we're just on autopilot. So, so what I like intentional. To, yeah. So what I like to tell people and put it in context for the folks at home is what about a little bit of happiness hygiene? No one has to remind you to brush your teeth, comb your hair, take a shower because someone introduced you to hygiene many, many years ago and you've been doing it for years. So if you use the same concept, why wouldn't you have some happiness hygiene? Sure. Okay, so so the prompt at, at dinner is one thing. I do wake up every day and and say thank you, and I have faith in a higher power. So I thank the higher power for. I always start with something that I'm thankful for. What's another thing? We we talk about these principles. What's the fulcrum and the lever? What is that? Yeah. So I mean, think about this. So. In and of itself, there's a lot of things we know to be true, but we don't do. Let me put it in context. If I say to you and everybody else, hey, have you ever heard this before? You should eat um, better and exercise. (laughs) Oh, wow. That's really insightful. Wow. Mind blown. Yeah. But the challenge is information is not transformation. 
Ooh, say that again. Information is not transformation. There's a lot of things we know to be true, but that doesn't necessarily activate to change our behavior. So how do we activate? So what we have to do, again, is this, this makes it easier to be a better version of ourselves, is we want to, as quickly as we can, start to build out some happiness habits. We do things that light us up. Now, Sean articulates whether it was, again, I mentioned gratitude or meditation or exercising for 15 minutes or a conscious acts of kindness or sharing good news. There's a variety of different ways like that you could start to make happiness a habit. So individually, I would sit down with you and whomever and I'd say, what, what are the, th- again, what, if you look at these things that you could do to be a better version of you, what most excites you? Maybe it's gratitude. Maybe it's working out. You think you could do 15 to 20 minutes of physical activity a day, get some alignment. And then what I would do is partner you up. We're more likely to do it if we have a wingman, soulmate, an accountability partner. Sure. And then you're hitting two of the two of them at the same time. That's a social investment. And you're (laughs) like you're connecting with another person. Yes. And so what I would literally build in if you and I were partnered, I'd say, okay, I'm going to do gratitude. And I would have, we would have a conversation. I'd say, you know what? I'm best in the morning. If you would, could you text me every morning at 8 a.m. and check on, check on me and to see if I've done my gratitude? And we would literally build in a stream where you and I would be checking in on each other, make a a pack, so to speak. So that would be like uh, one of the other principles was the Tetris effect. And basically, isn't that where you're training your brain to find positive and it kind of builds on itself. Like if you keep doing it, it'll build on it. Like you just got to keep doing it. Yes. Cause the brain is always scanning for patterns, right? So the Tetris effect is again, if it, the brain will again, will take inputs. So if we're scanning for negativity every day, guess what we find? Negativity. More negativity. I knew right? I, I, I knew I was going to get that one right. Yeah. <laughs> So the Tetris effect was fascinating. I don't know if we have time, but I'll unpack it. So they took students at Harvard. Actually, I'm supposed to say it like this, Harvard. Harvard. At Harvard. At Harvard. And they had to play Tetris for six consecutive hours. Students came up hours later. Many of the students, they were freaking out, so to speak. Why? Because they were going in their roommate's closet and lining everything up. They're going in grocery stores and lining everything up. If you ever played Tetris, the whole game is you're lining everything up. Why Wait, Tetris- after... After playing the game, they they literally did it in their life? They were conditioned. Yes, they were conditioned. Oh, oh my God. Well, think about this. If you do something for six to eight consecutive hours and do nothing else, what do you think the brain starts to discern? Only that. Yes, this is a new pattern. Right. The brain is always looking to put things on autopilot. So, Devin, what, what I think you're getting at, the more that we create these patterns, the easier our brain will be in in completing the patterns or, you know, exercising the happiness advantage. Correct. And it is an advantage because if I say to you and other people around the world, do you think you perform better when you feel better? Everyone's like, of course. Yeah. If you know that to be true, then what could we do intentionally to help you operationalize? I say happiness is a superpower. You know, I I would not have heard that the same way 10 minutes ago or 20 minutes ago, Devin, but I think you're right because I think that very few of us exercise our happiness. I think most of us quash it, right? So if you have the happiness, then you're that much further ahead than anyone you're competing with, right? 
Yeah, so I, I'm going to go back a bit because the second you talked about a concept that's mentioned in the book where Sean talks about the formulas backwards. Yeah. Then you talked about is it does it uh, do we work really hard and become successful and then we're happy or right. is it the inverse? Right. And so too often, at least here in the U.S. and around the world, we're kind of socialized that if you work really hard, you become successful and then you'll be happy. But we know that's not true. We know we that's know, not but, true. But we still do it. We're still like on the mouse wheel doing it, working towards those things. So I tell people, I say, I say, look at this. And this isn't to, to be disparaging anybody or to be judgmental. But how many celebrities or professional athletes or singers or comedians who we have to read about or hear about that are massively successful, that are miserable? Uh, a uh, lot of them. <laughs> mo- yes, most. <laughs> yes. Yes, because they have the formula backwards. They think that once they're successful, then there's this magical happiness fairy that comes out with the pixie dust that makes everything better. <laughs> right. Right. But you know what? If you've, if you've ever heard any of the comments by some of them, they're successful, but now they can't go anywhere. Right. Yeah, they're, they're stuck at home. They're in a pr- they're imprisoned yes. in their palaces. Yes. They, so in Beverly Hills. Exactly right. And so that's what I'm saying. We're under the delusion that we think successful people are, are the most happy. It's incorrect. If you look at the research, if you choose happiness first, the brain works better and then you become more successful. If you want me to pull the thread all the way through and uh, hopefully, OK, I'm going there. Do you recall the college admission scandal a couple years ago? Yes. That's a great example. You had celebrities and ultra uber affluent people that thought for their kid to be happy, they had to get into the right school to play the right sport that they don't even normally play. <laughs> right, right. It's True. so baked into our culture that that's a great example of it. It wasn't good enough to go to the state school. I had to get my little Mary into the Ivy League school because then she can be. So to push through on on something you said, like in the awkwardness of being grateful or like, let's take it with our spouses. If we're thanking them or being grateful and pointing and and being positive with them, like, I feel like initially that might, they they might go, what, what, what's going on? Yeah. Like, (laughs) who are you and what have you done with my wife? Wait, where do you want to go? Or what did you want? What do you want to buy? Like, do you you understand where I'm going with this, Evan? Like by, by being that intentional and, 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 and talking to your spouse or your kid that way, they're waiting for the other shoe to drop. So do you just push through that awkwardness in the in the beginning and just say like, no, I just wanted to tell you like that was really cool that you did blah, blah, blah or whatever it was. Or thank you so much for doing this. Or Devin, do we have to say Aunt Tracy and I did a podcast <laughs> on, on being happy. And so now we're going to change completely. <laughs> and which, I, which does happen in this house. I will be like, I just did a podcast and now I'm changing. And then like that lasts for like four days. So, but I mean, if we want to change, do we, do we need to make an announcement? We might have to make an announcement if our kids are not going to recognize us. So a couple of things. I mean, I, I put, I put things in context, right? Because anytime you introduce a new behavior, I'm looking for a pattern. And if you come back at home and you start asking me what I'm grateful for every day, I'm like, huh? Right. Where are we going with this? Right. So yes, in, in your own authentic way, hey, I learned something. I read something. And I would connect it or anchor it in something. I think this is going to help us. So motivation. Like, so you say, like, I learned something. And the reason I'm doing this is because I think it will help. So then you give them a reason to maybe join you. Yeah. So what I would suggest is before you maybe try to elicit them to do it with you, maybe they'd be great if they would maybe get them to support you first. 
Okay. Say, hey, I'm going on a 30-day journal, whomever, and I'd like you to be my accountability partner. I've selected gratitude. I'm going to tell them what's prescriptively what it is and say, would you be willing to help support me over the next 30 days by checking in, calling me, texting me, whatever, and making sure that I stay? And let me tell you why I'm doing this. And then, and then maybe the, maybe the Tetris effect, they'll be like, oh, and then they are interested in it and then it it spreads. Would the goal also be for maybe them to be like interested in what you're doing and then they do it too? That's the goal, but you're kind of backhandedly getting them involved and they don't really necessarily know because before you start pushing gratitude on me, let's just kind of just, let me tell you why I'm doing it to support me. Because if you support me, then you can support another person and you're already kind of sort of halfway in. And what you'll do is you'll share the gratitude with the family. Right. So also one of the things out of the research in the book was talking about things that you can do to improve mood or, or raise your happiness levels throughout the day. And you, you touched on a couple of them. You mentioned exercise. You mentioned um, conscious acts of kindness, I think. Mm-hmm. There was another one. What about finding something to look forward to? What, what does that do? Yeah, so anticipation is really, really big. And that's also a kind of akin to the Tetris effect. I'll give you an example, and I hope this is okay. So when my daughter was in middle school, say we're working from home, I'm doing the home thing, I got the laptop, I got the Dunkin' Donuts coffee, you know, mm-hmm. I'm doing my thing. So the daughter comes up from middle school. Uh, I live in California. We don't have buses. She's going to her carpool. Fast forward. She gives me a hug, kiss, and I, I call a pause. Her name is Finley. I say, hey, Finn, today is going to be off the charts awesome at middle school. All of a sudden, her physiology changes. She's like, what, what? Right? <laughs> and then she's like, daddy, daddy, tell me what's going to happen. I say, I'd ruin the surprise. Oh my Get out of here. I'll see you later. Boom. Oh. She's out the door. And I she's find primed. Out, yes. I find out hours later with her wolf pack of girls, I call them a little wolf pack. They are going around. I am in each other all during middle school. Finley, is it this? Is it this? Oh, my goodness. They're on a scavenger hunt for awesomeness, and they don't even know what they're looking for, but they're looking for it. Wow. Wow, that's so awesome. Right? So now not not only is Finley influencing other people, she's got five or six other people now scanning their environment for awesomeness. And guess what? They're finding it. And they're IMing from Finley to get validation, but she doesn't even know what (laughs) she's looking for. Wow. so she That's- comes home, fast forward. Let me. She comes home, fast forward. Literally walks in the door. I'm still at the island with the same nasty Dunkin' Donuts coffee. <laughs> right? She walks in like she just beat Apollo Creed. Got her hands <laughs> in the air like she just don't care. I'm like, Finn, what's going on? She goes, oh, my God, Dad. How did you know that Mr. Edgerly was going to let us out of class six minutes early? I mean, Mr. Edgerly could walk in my house right now. I would know who the young man is. (laughs) But I think you get where I'm going and what what I did to who and her friends all that day. Yeah. Oh, that's so awesome. Well, and it's funny that the anticipation thing, because um, I I was just talking about this with Ted Lasso, that anticipation is almost better than what you get. You know, I look forward to vacations so much that when we start the vacation, I get depressed because I have nothing to look forward to anymore. Mm. So if you prime someone and say, you're going to have an awesome day, and I'm not telling you how, they're anticipating awesome all day long. 
Yes, that is exactly right. And so if you talk about that, when we talk about when you want to talk about how we spend our money, if we want to go there, kids and families do not remember stuff, yep. but they remember experiences. So yes. for the families and board, it doesn't even have to be fancy. I don't need a trip to Maui on a beach house. Whether it's some of the most things you remember most are just experiences. So invest in those experiences, whether it's in the woods, in a camper, at a beach, or at grandma's house. A heavy dose of that is absolutely critical for well-being. That's One awesome. other thing that, that is mentioned um, that I didn't get, so I'm asking you, Devin, that exercise a signature strength. Is that is that about knowing yourself and what you're good at and then just indulging yourself that way? Yeah. So in other words, find what lights your campfire. Like, what are some things that you do? I mean, it could be as benign as gardening. Sure. It could be benign as volunteering. It could be benign as being more active at the church. Whatever that is, when you feel like you have service, because when you look at the research, meaning is the most powerful motivator of human behavior. When we feel like we're making a difference, when we matter. And if you can identify those things that you do, we got to double down and do more of it, even if it's less. So too often we're too hard on ourselves. I don't have five hours to volunteer every week at the church, but I got 45 minutes this week. Do more of that. Absolutely. so bite little chunks off, not like it doesn't have to be anything daunting or overwhelming. Just like a little little hits here and there can fill your cup that way. Absolutely. It can. So we talk about social media a lot on this podcast, but whether it's about our kids or mostly about the kids. But do you think that the happiness advantage and all these things like our the social media aspect has to just go away that we have to ditch social media or do you, do you think you can use social media to spread the happiness? Uh, I definitely don't think it's going away. Um, <laughs> no, I know it's I, not going to go away. I mean, come on now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I mean but, like, but I mean like, are, are they mutually like, do the, could you have to t- turn one off to be able to do it or can they work together? I'll piggyback on this too, Devin, because um, recently one of my daughters found out through social media that, People got together without her and it was shocking to her and very upsetting. And so how do we social media is here? How do we use social media to promote happiness and to promote positivity as opposed to what I think it often is, is that FOMO? Yes. And so I have teenage daughters, so I'm acutely aware of that. Right. (laughs) So you're living it. Yes. And so, I mean, we could go on on this topic for a while. So I. To your point, yes, I think social social media can be used to spread and enhance our happiness. I'll give you an example. So how often do we find opportunities to share good news on social media? Could we be more intentional about talking about the good stuff versus the bad stuff? Now, too often in social media, we, we're enamored with selfies. So it's, I'm really cool. I take a selfie of myself, and then everyone looks at me, and it's been filtered and glamorized, and everyone's like, that's not real life. Right. right. And if we define our value based on the number of followers and our likes, it's a very, very slippery slope, which is why I try to get my kids to be more intentional about filling their cup other ways in terms as opposed to, you know, external validation. Like I had no idea because I just didn't that uh, and I knew it, but I didn't know it. But once you live at house, the social pressure on girls to be that their value becomes on the way I look and my waist size. Yep. Yep. And, and and so that's a whole nother conversation. But yes, it can be extremely debilitating for right. everyone. And so, yes, I, I, you know, I think there's an opportunity to utilize it. So, so I'll give you an example. Let me be more specific. 
we in this house, we have what we call digital detoxes. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You mean when you go on your walk, that's when the, <laughs> your, your walk is a detox. So like dinner is a detox. There's, right. there's certain things that we do. When we watch a movie, we don't watch it with phones. There's just certain things as a family we've agreed upon that when we're here, we're going to be here. So again, that may be a little bit hardcore for other people, but I don't want my kids when we're, I mean, there's so many examples, but this is really, really stood out for me. My daughter Finley went over for a sleepover not too long ago, which is fine. We do it, right? Kids yeah, do that. Yeah. Well, she came back from the sleepover and we asked how it was a sleepover and she said, ah, dad, it was a little bit awkward. Well, right. I don't know about you, but a sleepover and awkward don't really go together that well. Yeah. that <laughs> my, my, my alarms would be going off. Yeah. So, you know, the private eye. Okay. Uh Oh, hello. What's going on? Well, she goes, dad, I don't want to be like judgy. But when we, we sat down for dinner, the whole family, including my, 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 uh, my friend's parents, everyone was looking at their smartphones. No one was talking to each other. Mm. Uh. And, and so the wake up call, my daughter realized that she doesn't know why, but in our house, that's not what we do. So right. she was acutely aware that dinner felt different because there was no social interaction. Right. Wow. But that's good that she noticed it. And Yeah, she just called it awkward and judgy, but she just thought, like, why, why aren't we talking to each other? Like, this seems weird. My point of that story is we have certain things that are sacred in our house. Sure. Like, call them rituals, call them what you may. Like, you know, and these are the things we do when we have a little bit of a digital detox. I'll give you one more. I, I know I'm rambling, but this is so really powerful. Have you, have either of you heard of the concept of fubbing? Huh? No. No. Fubbing? I've heard fubbing. of flubbing. I flub quite often. <laughs> no, fubbing. So fubbing is, it's new on our lexicon. Fubbing is phone snubbing. It starts with a P, P-H-U-B-B-I-N-G. It's essentially the act of snubbing someone when you're talking with them in person and you're looking at your phone instead. Oh. Oh. That happens all the time. Yeah. It, it must, because now it's part of our slang. It's part of our language. I wow. mean, how often do we fub people? There's fubbing going on in my car on a regular basis. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. When I take the kid, when I take, when I carpool and I take kids, like they're, they're, they're not talking to each other. They're on their damn phones. Yep. Yes. And so I, it's a benign example, but it just gives you, we've baked this so like we've normalized some of this bad behavior so much. Right. And Devin, I got to say, like, we do dinners with no devices. That's just been a rule forever. And I don't think that it's even occurred to me that we would have devices at the table. Um, But I have been at places where, like, you're at dinner and someone's got a device on the table. And even if they look at it because it flickers, that's a fub, right? Because they're not making eye contact with you. They're just checking their device. So and it does derail whatever's going on. So I learned a new uh, word. (laughs) Exactly. I'm going to use it at the dinner table tonight. Well, it's just interesting. I mean, unless you're in SEAL Team 6 or the CIA, I imagine you can get off the Internet for 45 minutes, right? Exactly. 45 minutes? Our dinners don't last that long, Devin. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, I'll give you an example. This is fascinating. Again, I, I don't know if these help or not, but I was in Europe before COVID. Right? I was in Florence, Italy, and I'm having dinner. We've, I've been invited over to an Italian family to have dinner, okay? Okay. Which is fascinating because I'm like, oh, it's going to be so great. I'm in Florence. Great meal. I'm just so excited. Big boy likes to eat here. Okay, well, we sit down at the table, everybody. Well, in America, when the food comes out and we're all sitting there, right, wrong, or indifferent, typically we all dive in, correct? 
Yes. Yes. You start passing dishes around. Well, yeah. I dive in like, you know, like, you know, like a. American. Like it's your last meal. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And I pause because it got really quiet and I look up and everyone's staring at me. Oh, no. And then I look to my right and, the, and the, my host says, Devin, Devin, slow down. We have more food. <laughs> <laughs> and I realized it. You know what it is? I'm used to a 20 minute dinner. Right. They're used to a two hour dinner. Yeah, for it, sure. It came out in courses. And what I realized, food was just a conduit. For to conversation. Talk. Yes. Yes. It was social investment. Two, a two hour dinner. That would be torture for my son. My 13 year old son would be like literally like slumped over. Yes. But I just realized that we treat dinner sometimes like we're going to the Department of Motor Vehicles. For sure. <laughs> Oh, I mean, like, and, and sometimes we do dinner in the car. Sometimes it's dinner. You know, I, my younger one would prefer to unwrap whatever she eats. I just noticed this recently. Like, she doesn't want to sit and have a plate. She'd like it to come in a prepackaged whatever. So <laughs> I don't know if that's because we're on the go a lot, but so I'm going to, I'm going to change, Devin. I'm going to make our dinners a little bit more conscious. Yes. And Intentional. I'm, I might even. Yes, and I might even go back to some roses and thorns, but I'm not sure. Well, well, well think about this. You know, you've heard the expression "break bread," right? Yeah, yeah. We have these little kind of jargony expressions because food or eating was a conduit for our ancestors to come together. Right, right. We've, I mean, even I mean, I could go on and on about this. Even church attendance. When I was a kid, we used to dress up. Right. We dressed up because it was a big deal. Right. And the big deals, you treated it like it's a big deal. If you look at some of the pillars, whatever faith you may have, some of the things that we did, we ritualized, it always involved a, some, a little bit of culture and some socialization. And we've lost a lot of that in our rush for more and more consumption and all the other things. Yep, that's totally true. Well, thank you so much, Devin Hughes, author and speaker about the power of positive psychology. I can't wait to use some of it. I want to do the note cards at the table and see if that, what that draws out. That, that'll be an interesting conversation, I think. Yeah, Devin, you, you've reframed things for us. And, um, and my head is spinning because I'm trying to think about ways I can do this without my children boycotting me. Can I give you one more idea to leave you with? Yeah. Yes. All right. Another idea that we've done is each January, put a mason jar on the island or somewhere in the kitchen, take some sticky notes or whatever, and a Sharpie. And then each week, every person writes, what's the best thing that happened that week? And put it in the mason jar. Okay. Okay. On on New Year's Eve, depending on who's home, empty the jar and just start to read aloud all the awesome things that happened in our family this year. Oh, that's cool. Wow. We call that in positive psychology, savoring. Just like we savor food, you can do this weekly, annually. One of the things you can start to do to fill your kids and your family's cup is just get them to savor that good things are happening. And it's really powerful. Even watching that jar fill up, I imagine, has some power because you see that there is good. Yeah. That's exactly. Incremental, you see the jar filling, filling, filling up. And that just says there's good. See, the thing, I'll leave you this for all the families out there. If you're not filling your kid's cup, you're letting the world fill it. And you can't trust the world. That's not, I'm not, I'm not willing to put my kid's future in the hands of the ungrateful. No, absolutely. That's totally true. Thank you so much, Devin. 
Thanks for having me. It was awesome. Devin, thank you so much. You've given me so many ideas. Um, my kids are going to resent you. <laughs> oh, thank you. I'm glad that I added value to that resentment. <laughs> thank you, Devin. Tell Finley we say hi. Uh, <laughs> star. Will do. So apparently, happiness fuels success and not the other way around. And we can retrain our brains to be successful at home, in our families, and ultimately at work. You know, Anne, I know one way our listeners could commit a conscious act of kindness, you know, because that's one of the seven <laughs> principles to like build your happiness level and your mood. Do things on purpose. Yes, <laughs> yeah. yes. They could intentionally tell their friends and family and neighbors about our podcast. And this happiness episode will infuse positivity in their lives. I love I love the <laughs> way trying. you bring this. I'm trying here. I'm going to positively tell you that you are trying. I'm grateful for you, Tracy, Auntie Tracy. Um, all right, we we would love for the people listening to rate us or leave a review. We want your feedback and suggestions for making the podcast better. Yeah, and you can check us out on Facebook or Instagram. And you can share our posts if you like them. And remember, you can reach us via email at apparentlypodcast at gmail.com. This is a WGN Plus podcast edited by our very own Ben Anderson. I'm Ann Johnsos. And I'm Tracy Weiner. Thanks for listening to Apparently. Thank you.